Splash podcast with Pastor Rick Hill, Senior Pastor of Grace Community Church in Rawls, New Mexico. I'm Marie Manning. What an honor it is to have you join us today. Our goal at Living Your Dash is to better help you connect the dots of discipleship so that you can find and fulfill God's purpose for your life. Let's join Rick and Sean with this week's podcast. Thank you, Marie, and thank you, everybody, for joining us here on the Living Your Dash podcast, the podcast that helps you to connect the dots of discipleship. And so, well, Rick, here we are. We're at this seventh installment of your of your series, Leader Shift, and you focused on Paul's instructions to uh, Pastor Timothy uh, in the area of integrity. Now, before I go into that, I, just before we... I hit the, po- the the record button here. I ask you the question about the issue of integrity and leadership because I once heard this this uh, uh, this quote by John Maxwell. Uh, he said that uh, he who considers himself a leader but has no one following him uh, is really just taking a walk. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, not so a leader. He's just taking a walk. What, what does integrity have to do with that statement? Yeah, and that really is true that if a, if a person does not have integrity in time, he will look behind him or her and no one will be following. Mm-hmm. Uh, people will not follow for the long haul a leader who lacks integrity because they don't trust the person. Yeah. They go, okay, is it going to, what kind of person is he going to be this week? Is he going to be the happy guy or the mad guy? The sad guy or the jovial guy. Uh, a person who is not the same, who isn't integrated, who mm. does not have integrity, people over the long haul will say, no, thank you. No, thank you. I want to follow somebody that I can trust, that I know they'll always be the same person no matter where they are. Okay, so we're talking more than just um, um, a stability of emotions. We're talking more than just honesty here. Uh, what 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 is there? What 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 is there more to this thing called integrity? Yeah, and that's why in the in the sermon Sunday, I actually called. I didn't call this the leader of integrity. I called it the integrated leader. Uh huh. Because the word integrity grows out of the word integer, which means whole or complete. Well, when you think about it, Sean, the person of integrity. He's the kind of person, he is the same person wherever he is. He's the same person uh, with his spouse. He's the same person with his children. Uh, He's the same person on Sunday morning at church as he is Monday morning at work or at school. That's what integrity is all about. And what impresses me about Paul's admonition to Timothy in the passage we looked at, right at the end of 1 Timothy, we wrapped up the first letter uh, Sunday, is that the principles of leadership in the area of integrity apply to every aspect of life. Obviously, it applies to a leader in the church, but it applies to the leader in the school system, yeah. or the leader in the White House, or the leader in the State House, or uh, the leader at City Hall. Yeah. It applies to every aspect of, of our lives, and if a leader does not have integrity, it will not be long, uh, to, to uh, remember John Maxwell's quote, it will not be long till he is just going for a walk. Okay. So in a, in a way, integrity is, there's, you could say that it is kind of uh, amoral in the sense that 
Someone could be a, a completely immoral person in terms of, uh, let, let's think of a business person or, or a, dic a dictator. Mm -hmm. They could have integrity of being cruel mm -hmm. and uh, being, uh, being malicious, being driven by uh, the bottom line or being driven. You could say, well, <laughs> at least I know who he is. Absolutely. <laughs> you're, you're right. It's a, it, it, the idea of integrity is not moral, immoral. It's amoral. Huh. And when you're exactly right. It is amoral in that a person can have impeccable integrity and be a dictator. Wow. Um, you know, really, you uh, you think of some of the dictators that they don't hold back. They tell you, right. hey, you know, here, hey, Sean, you're Korean. That's how right. About, how about the North Korean leader? That's right. Do you think uh, he doesn't hold back? He doesn't pretend to be... Uh, <laughs> Yo, I'm this wonderful, nice guy. Yeah, uh, he, he, he's pretty, pretty clear about yeah. where he stands. You know, everybody knows that he's willing to kill his own uncle with yeah. with uh, 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 some sort of malicious poison, which is exactly what he did. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, but of course we're we're not talking we're not talking about amoral integrity. We're talking about having moral strength of integrity. And, and there's a price to it, isn't there? Um, you actually said something like, you know, leaders must get their act together, which to me is the essence of integration of one's values, beliefs, habits, and behaviors into a single unit. How, how am I doing with that one so Yeah, far? you're right on track. It's not the old, uh, do as I say, but not as I do. Yeah, okay. That, that will not fly. And yeah. people today, and Sean, I, one thing that impresses me about the younger generations, they, they see right through a lack of integrity. Uh -huh. well, if a person is not genuine, if they're not authentic, they they have a, an amazing ability uh, uh, just to pick up on that mm. and uh, to spot in and what what all of us, but especially the younger generation right now, they want to know the real deal. They don't want you being you know, blowing smoke. Uh, mm. They they want to know, hey, you're the real authentic person. You're the genuine person. Uh, you're you're not a a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, and I think nearly everybody, Sean, has at one time in their life worked for a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Right. Hyde boss. And it, it's so unsettling because you're driving to work and you don't know who's going to show up as the boss. <laughs> it's yeah. going to be the Dr. Jekyll or the Mr. Hyde uh, uh, students driving to school. Sometimes they just don't know what, what, what is my teacher going to be like today? Um, is mm. he going to be the same person uh, every day? Is there that consistency of character? That's what integrity is all about. Okay, let me go off the reservation here one more time. Sorry. Sure. Because this, this is intriguing to me. When is, is a person born with a sense of integrity and it just kind of gets lost? Or is it something that we really have to, we have to learn to recognize as we grow, as we mature, and that we really have to work hard at? Yeah, I, I would say just my personal opinion. It's a integrity is a learned behavior. Mm. It's something that we learn from our parents. If we grow up in a in a home where mom or dad are are very divided in that they're, they they don't have their act together. They pretend to be one thing, you know, out in the community, yeah. but behind closed doors, you know, they abuse their children. They're rude. They're ugly. Yeah, you know, kids will pick up on that. And so I think you know, what can happen is very often a child will grow up in a home like that, 
lacking integrity, and they will say, I am not going to be like that. Mm-hmm. There is no way. And so they, they actually learn integrity by seeing and witnessing a lack of it. Uh-huh. But I know um, integrity is very important to me. And I, I say, okay, why is that a high value in my life? Because because my mom and dad were that way. Yeah. My dad was the same person. Everywhere he went, he was the same person. There was no Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde to him at all. Same yeah. guy at church, same guy at work, same guy at home. Um, he had that high level of integrity. I admired that. Mob mm-hmm. was the same way. And so I learned it at home, and it just it just became a... a a learned behavior for me. Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Well, you listed three ways that it takes to be a be an integrated leader. So you talked about doctrine or teaching, finances, and our mind. So what if I'm not a pastor? I mean, I can skip the like the doctrine part, right? I mean, wrong again, Sean. Wrong again. Wrong again. Man alive. No, 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 no. This doesn't apply just to pastors, and don't let the word doctrine throw you. In fact, some of the translations use the word teaching okay, or instruction. Mm-hmm. So think of it this way. Really, your doctrine, your teaching, instruction, what, what rules guide your life? Okay. That's it. What rules guide your life? Um, for example, whatever it is, that's your doctrine. Everybody has a doctrine. Yeah. They may not call it that, but uh-huh. you have a doctrine. It's, okay, what are the rules? What are the priorities? What are the principles that guide my life? For example, if, um, if your doctrine is, I want to be in control. Mm-hmm. Well, if that's your doctrine, if that's your internal compass, then wherever you go, that's going to be a priority. You're going to do everything you can to be in control. Yeah. If you're, uh, I know some people, their doctrine is, uh, I can't trust people. Mm. That's an ingrained doctrine. They probably learned growing up because they were in an environment that uh, that just couldn't trust people, That's couldn't right. trust adults. Yeah. And so if that is your internal doctrine, then you will go through life keeping people at arm's length. You'll never trust people. You'll always think they have an ulterior motive. And, yeah. You know, i got to watch that guy. I really can't trust those people. Uh, that's why this, this internal doctrine, this, these rules that we live by are so important because they will guide and in many ways control your behavior. Right, right. I, I was thinking of um, like uh, someone might, as they, they never write this down, which I think, is actually not a good thing. I think we should, at some point, write down these rules of life or these statements that we believe are true. And we might surprise ourselves as to what we actually do and what we say we believe. And uh, because I think some people, they, they live, their doctrine is actually, people matter as long as they bring value to me. Yes. Right? And so, I mean, they, they would never say that. Mm-hmm. But that's exactly how they behave. And so they don't trust people. Mm -hmm. uh, They don't trust churches. They don't trust organizations. Because they, uh, you know, unless they get a kickback immediately. And so, um, but of course, then they have to do the hard work of, okay, 
if I'm gonna, if there are institutions or if people matter, period, yeah. and I have to treat them as valuable, then I've got to change a lot of my behavior, my speech, and my actions. Absolutely, that's what you do need to get in touch with your internal doctrine. Yeah. What are those rules, written or unwritten, that you live by? Yeah. Because if you live by them, they will affect your behavior. They will affect your relationships. Yeah, yeah. Woo! That's that's grown-up stuff we're it talking is about. Power, isn't it is powerful, powerful <laughs> stuff. <laughs> okay, yes. so we get a glimpse into the challenge that we face by looking at the challenges that Timothy faced. It got me to thinking. You know how how deeply into trouble was Timothy in Ephesus? Yeah, I, I think Timothy, when he went to bed at night, he felt like you know. I think the Apostle Paul threw me in the deep water here. <laughs> and I know he intended to teach me to swim, but I feel like I'm drowning. drowning. <laughs> it, it, was a, it was a difficult situation. Um, apparently what had happened, some very powerful and influential false teachers had infiltrated the church, mm. had wormed their way into leadership, which I have seen happen. Yeah. I've seen very ungodly people yeah. worm their way somehow into leadership, and then once they get to that position, they don't they don't give it up. They don't relinquish it. They hold on yeah. to it because they're into into power. And so, I think more than anything else, what was going on in Ephesus was a power struggle yeah. between Timothy, who had to get he had to take control because he was there uh, promoting the truth and yeah. promoting the, what was right and what was good. But he was going up against some pretty good, uh, powerful people. Right. Uh, very influential and apparently very convincing people. Yeah. And so people in the middle of the church members were going, oh, my goodness, what do we believe? What do we believe? And so Timothy had to do a masterful job right. at explaining, here is the truth. Here is the truth. And here's what we have to stand for. I find it interesting that uh, for Timothy, I mean, this, this letter that was given to the to the church at Ephesus. I mean, there's no better stamp of authority by saying, I know who I chose as the bishop of Ephesus. And if it's any of you turkey toes out there, you ain't it. This is <laughs> the man I've chosen. And Absolutely. a man that everybody needs to look to. Yeah. And what a wonderful pattern he then set for the rest of the church as we uh, begin to roll on through the ages. Absolutely. And it's very important that Paul wrote this letter giving Timothy the authority. Yeah. And he was saying, here's your guy. You listen to him, and he's going to deal with these false teachers. Yeah, ending up, of course, giving a, a, a really a good doctrine mm-hmm. for you and for me and yeah. for really everybody. Everybody. Because now everybody can be can hold themselves accountable to which end of the uh, of leadership that they need to take. Uh, exactly. Okay, so the characteristics of the, of the false teachers that Timothy faced were... Uh, they were like selfish problems that they caused, selfish interests that that they had, and evil results. I was thinking about this. What, what if we flipped the script and we looked at the opposite of these false teachers? What clues can we learn by perhaps imagining what they could have been, or what they could have done, or or might have produced if they had repented? Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Do you think about the impact this church could have been having in that community if it if it wasn't uh, if all the energy wasn't 
focused on fixing the problem in the church. Yeah. They weren't able to impact their community. They were too busy taking care of their own issues, right. which is really devastating. So you, you do, you think about the, uh, the characteristics I mentioned Sunday. One of them was arrogance. These false teachers, very arrogant. They were know-it-alls. Yeah. So you think of what would have happened had they been humble leaders, yeah. really guided by humility, uh, a willingness to learn, a willingness to grow, rather than being know-it-alls, wanting to know, wanting to grow. Totally, That would have totally changed the atmosphere of right. this church and the impact it could have had in the community. Another one I mentioned was they, they went around just creating controversy, even greedy. Um, somehow they were trying to... to to get some kind of financial gain yeah. out of this uh, power struggle. So you imagine, instead of creating controversy, how nice it would have been if they had been peacemakers and uh, really focused in on, hey, let's, uh, how can we resolve conflict rather than create conflict? And on the, on the greedy side, imagine if they had been teaching and practicing generosity yeah, and just grateful to God for what God gave, and we need to share. We need to uh, take care of other people in need. B- the big one for me, though, when I was studying the passage, was the end result. The end result that uh, that this church was embroiled in, uh, Paul says, was envy, quarreling, malicious talk, evil suspicions. Uh, another word Paul used was they create constant friction. And I kept thinking about that. Friction. Yeah. Friction is the enemy of any machine. Mm-hmm. It's the enemy of the automobile you drive. It's the enemy right now of the air conditioner unit that's cooling my office. <laughs> it's friction. And friction causes heat, and heat causes things to wear out. Yeah. And and that that's what was happening in this church. What would have happened instead of that kind of attitude if they had been content? Yeah. Just content. Uh, any when there was a, conver- a a conflict, rather than quarreling and having friction, if they had conversations, hey, you know, we're having a conflict. Let's sit down. Let's see if we can work it out. Self control would have really gone a long ways yeah. in helping. The, they had no self control. They were out of control yeah. and creating great conflict in that church. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You know, I was thinking, wouldn't it have been great if if uh, they'd said, wow. Timothy, you, you know Paul. Paul chose you? Okay, well, let's well let's get behind. What are we supposed to be doing? Yeah. And, uh, and Timothy, could, Timothy could have just said, well, what did the Master say? Mm-hmm. We're going to go and make disciples. Ephesus is going to be a, a powerful disciple-making church. But instead, he had to waste, waste mm-hmm. uh, all that time trying to get things in line. Yeah, um, not just time. Time, energy. And energy is such a drain when there's a church conflict. It just drains you emotionally. Wow. And, you know, you said the magic word. You said, wouldn't it have been great if they could have gotten behind? Yeah. See, that's good leadership terminology. Wouldn't it have been great? Man, Timothy, you're Paul's guy. We're going to get behind you. That means we're going to be good followers. You're going to be our leader. Let's make an impact for Christ in Ephesus. Yeah. Let's make it easy for you because I know you're trying to make it easy for us. Oh, boy. Okay, mm. well, another area that we must be integrated is in our finances. You know, I thought you were actually going to launch into a, a Dave Ramsey thing because I know you love the Dave thing, but uh, Dave Ramsey. Uh, but but you're, 
your take was that we need to have a godly attitude towards resources. Is that right? Yeah, it, I was tempted to do the get out of debt thing. I'll admit it. You know, <laughs> and anytime I, there's a great scripture about money, and it, this was a great one. No, I think more than anything else, what, what Paul was teaching Timothy and us is to get control of your finances before they get control of you. Mm-hmm. And that is with money. You, if you don't control your money, your money will control you. Yeah. There's no middle ground. And I just I love this section. Uh, and for, for people, if you haven't read the First Timothy chapter 6, the greatest, well, I shouldn't say that, one of the greatest <laughs> passages in the Bible yeah. on your attitude toward money. Yeah. And how you, we talked about three things, how to learn to be content and then how to enjoy. How do we need to enjoy. Don't feel guilty. Enjoy right. what God provides, but also be willing to share. Be generous. Yeah. And uh, lives would be radically changed if people would say, okay, I am not going to let money control my life. Yeah. I'm going to be in control of money and I'm going to use biblical principles and so I'm going to be content. I'm not going to be, you know, trying to keep up with the Joneses. You know, mm-hmm. spending money you don't have to impress people you don't like. Yeah. That's keeping up with the Joneses. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do that. Um, I'm going to be content with what God's given me. We're going to enjoy it, and we're going to share it. Yeah. How simple is that? So simple. Simple to understand. Right. Yeah. It'll yeah. Keep, you will spend the rest of your life living that out. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And really fighting against it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking that, you know, Paul wrote in that, that passage, we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. You know, what, Not to beat a dead horse, but why is that like a profoundly important observation? John, what people don't know is you and I just walked out of a funeral yeah. a few hours ago. Yeah. Um, good friend of ours, he brought nothing into the world. Yeah. And I was there. He's taking nothing out. Yeah. Nothing out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And when we realize that principle, and sometimes people need to go to more funerals uh-huh. because it reminds you, it gives you perspective and resets your priorities. When you realize nothing in, nothing out. Yeah. Uh, I've got resources while I'm here, but they're temporal, not eternal. Yeah. That to me is the key is, oh, that's right. I'm not going to take anything out. Why am I working so hard to get something? That, uh, to quote Solomon in Ecclesiastes, that I'm going to give to people who are going to inherit all my wealth and I'll have no control on how they spend the money that I gave them. Yeah. 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 And that's why, that's why Solomon says it's like chasing after the wind. Chasing after the wind. Chasing after the wind. Yeah. It's futile. You know, so your further comments reminded me of um, a series that you did way back and called the Be Rich series. And uh, which almost sounds like, you know, uh, when Andy Stanley wrote this book, he said, you know, how to be rich. But that that's not where he was going with this. And you told us that too. But anyway, Stanley um, asked the question to his congregation and you asked it to us. Would we consider $37,000 per year salary? If, would you consider yourself rich? And I don't think anybody in the room at the time said, no. <laughs> we, we all thought, no. I mean, that's barely scraping by. Yeah. And then you dropped the bomb. And the bomb was? Yeah. Um, <laughs> 4% richest in the world. Yeah. Now think about it. Andy Stanley said, 
If you make 37000 a year, that would put you in the 4% richest people in the world. I, when I heard that, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, and I even true. looked up what it was today. Oh, okay. what is it? What is it? Now? So right now, I mean, for adjusted for inflation, it'd be something like 53000 Oh, wow. Which, that's... That, that's that's barely enough to keep rent and a car payment and a yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how people actually do it. If it, but yeah. that means we, you're still amongst the richest four percent mm-hmm. of the world. Yeah. Wow. I, I don't even know what to think about that. Any more thoughts about what Stanley was trying to say? Yeah, and I, I think there's the, the there's couple of principles we need to learn here that for American Christians, mm-hmm. uh, we. And again, Paul says in this passage that God gave you these things for your enjoyment. Americans enjoy great prosperity for no accident. It's because of, I believe, our Judeo-Christian principles upon which the country was founded. Uh And again, God's word works. Yes. It works in very practical ways. So if if you base your life on biblical financial principles, they're going to work. If you yeah. base your family, it's going to work. Guess what? If you base your nation on the foundational principles of Judeo-Christian values and ethics and morals and biblical principles about money management, uh-huh. guess what happens? Prosperity. Yeah. But you want to you want to see the opposite of that. Contrast our nation with nations with evil leaders. Yeah. So, you know, we talk about North Korea. Mm-hmm. Horrible, horrible right. conditions. Venezuela, yeah. horrible conditions. Why? What did those people do wrong? Evil leadership got in control. Yeah. And the minute evil leadership gets in control, um, bad things happen. Yeah. So I, I, I said it Sunday, I'll say it again. If you are a Christian, don't feel guilty if you have money. Yeah. Feel blessed, feel grateful. And feel responsible that yeah. you are a steward. God has made you a steward of those resources, and you're to be content with them. You're to be generous with them, uh, and uh, but you're also to, to to enjoy them. Yeah. And finding that balance, but I, I think it's possible. I think we can actually do that. So before we toot our horn too generously ourselves, I do know because we have some international uh, listeners, and so I I think that they're. You're not saying at all, I don't think, that <laughs> that America is a picture of integration of all these things. Are you saying that? No, no. <laughs> no, no. And even, even our founding fathers, yeah. 250 years ago, they weren't perfect men and women right. by any stretch of the imagination. But they did have this undergirding truth that the Judeo-Christian ethics and values and morals... That's what this nation needs to be built on. That yes. needs to be the foundation. And it's our nation was built on those. Yeah. Perfect? Absolutely not. Yeah. Uh, but over the years, over the years, we've we've tried to maintain that um, that principle mm. of staying focused on good values when well when it comes to money. Yeah. You know, our, that you you learn to save. Yeah. Uh, you don't overspend. Uh-huh. Um, problem is, look what's going on. Now we have some leaders in our world and in our nation 
they uh, overspend, our nation's in debt. Yeah. Um, well, what's the consequence? It's going to be somebody's got to pick up the tab one of these days. Right. Probably going to be my grandkids. Boy, isn't that sad? Very sad. And, and I think that there is that that essence of uh, industriousness, uh, of having, of, of wanting to achieve greater things than than. Uh, the previous generation, and yeah. not not at not at the cost of one's again integration uh, or integrity, but but saying you know, and I that's what I appreciate about the United States is that that we we uh, as a nation have said let's do things as ethically and responsibly as possible, but let's certainly not go backwards. Yeah, let's become healthier. Let's become stronger. Let's let's have a greater uh, uh, a greater uh, cost of li- is that is that right? Cost of living, yeah. That that other people can that we all can enjoy. This way, all boats can rise. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. So it's the things like biblical principles: get a job, yeah, go to work, right. yeah, like, uh, do an honest day work, whether yeah. the boss is watching or not. You put all those principles in. What's going to happen? All the boats rise. Let's see. I think it's somewhere in the Bible it says uh, a man should work. If a man does not work, should not eat. You shall not eat. Uh, that we should work so that we have. The enablement to give. Yeah. See, who said that? Yeah, and, then, <laughs> and it, it seriously, Sean, it is very dangerous in our culture today that many people work very, very, very hard on getting government su- substance. Oh my goodness! That yeah. It's almost their job. Their job is to get on welfare. Yeah, and welfare is for those people who need it. Right, and we need that. We need that safety net. It's true. But when fifty percent of a state is on government assistance something is wrong with something that something might be wrong yeah. yeah oh boy i know i know you're about to get triggered so i'm going to move on so because <laughs> i know i am okay. i'm loading my <laughs> gun <laughs> all right in regard to generosity you i love what you had to say don't hoard it share it have an open hand not a closed fist drawing back to what stanley said he said that being rich is an attitude and not a number you know, like we would say that, you know, if you're a millionaire, right? I mean, certainly you've got to be more generous. And he says this, quote, Studies show that the richer people get, the smaller the percentage of money they give away. So in other words, he said, like, if um, if you made 50000 at the time, 6% of people, uh, or people would give generally 6% of their income. But those who made 200000 or more gave just 4%. So it's getting worse. You know, what, what do you make of that? Yeah. Do, do you think it's any accident that God used a percentage, not a dollar amount? Yeah. He said, not. I want you to give 10%, a tithe of your income. I want you to give a 10%, not a dollar amount. Yeah. See, a percent applies to everybody. That's right. So, but, and it's harder. I get it. You know, if you make, if you make $100, you go, well, $10, that's not bad. You know, I can give $10. Yeah. You make a million dollars. Whoa, you're telling me to write a check for $100,000? No way. I can't do that. There's the problem. Right. So uh, God thinks in percentage and human beings think in dollar amounts. Right, right. And I, and I, would, I would often be reminded of, well, you'd only, you only have to give the money that, that doesn't belong to you. That's right. <laughs> and when we realize, oh, yeah. It all belongs to it God. It all belongs to God. And even the opportunity that I had to get that doesn't belong to me. That's God. He gave me my brain. He gave me my, my abilities. Okay, so the final area was the integration of the mind. Uh, Paul warned against the, the godless chatter of his time. 
What kind of godless chatter are you concerned with today? Well, just look at the, the word, godless chatter. Mm. Any talk or speech that leaves God out, that would be godless. Yeah. So any, any talk that removes God, that removes the, the belief in God, that mo- removes the values of God, that secular humanism... That's the perfect definition of secular humanism is uh, it removes God from the conversation. Yeah. There's the problem. In our culture, there's a lot of godless chatter. Mm-hmm. It's speech that totally is void of God. It just pretends like God is not in the picture. Yeah. That's sad. Yeah. And dangerous. Exactly. And I, the thing that immediately came to my mind was that we have in our, in our, in our palms devices that that instant that have instant access to godless chatter oh. I mean the most uh, the most influential piece of of um, anything is not a philosophical ideology or a political ideology or a religion um, it's it's what we find in the technology in our cell phones yeah. and uh, the everywhere we look we see people look I saw somebody trip the other day. Because they were looking at their phone and they weren't walking in front of them. Wow. <laughs> and I thought, that is a metaphor. What a metaphor. That is a metaphor for our world. Rick, you said that there is a war. So this is kind of, kind of, I'm a little triggered, so I have to be careful. But, you know, Rick, you said, you said there is a war going on in our world today and the battlefield is in our minds. Are you using hyperbole or should we really be thinking, like, tactically? Every day. Yeah, like the latter. Uh, it is a war. And, you know, what is a war? It's two opposing forces. So we need to remember every minute of every day, our enemy, Satan, never lets up. Right. That's his job. You got to realize Satan's job description is to destroy your life. And wow. Satan and his all of his minions are all about destroying our life. So we have to protect our mind. We have to carefully guard what goes in our eyes what goes in our ears yeah it's it's a challenge and frankly sean in my lifetime uh the uh, the challenge has grown exponentially wow did you think that maybe boy one of these days it's going to be easier i don't know (laughs) And, and what deeply concerns me is my grandkids yeah what they you could not pay me money to go back and be a teenager again couldn't pay me money yeah the challenges are enormous but there can be victory but you have to protect your mind and guard carefully what goes in it that's fantastic well rick as you can tell by the music going on it is now time for rick's quote of the week all right rick what do you got for us today well, this one is just for you because I know you like G.K. Chesterton. Oh, I do, I do, I and, do. But you may not be aware that G.K. Chesterton had a thing to say about money and about finance what? and about contentment. And here is his quote. There are two ways to get enough. One is to continue to accumulate more and more. The other is to desire less. Ooh. I like that. I love that. So, desire less. Yes. Desire less and you will be content. Well, thank you for that Englishman's quote. I do appreciate that. My pleasure. What else is going on here, Rick? Well, this Sunday we continue leadership and I like like where we're going. Uh, We're we're opening up 2 Timothy. Ah. And so people can start reading 2 Timothy now, but 
the, the challenge this week is called it's, it's the called leader. What does it mean to be called? I feel like God's calling on your life to be a leader. And if God is calling you to be a leader, here's the key. How's that going to make you different as a leader? Hmm. How's it going to make you stand out? Uh, maybe sometimes you don't get applause. Maybe you get tomatoes thrown at you because mm-hmm. you're different. But what does it mean uh, to, to be a called out leader? What are the benefits? What are the challenges? Uh, very excited about what Paul is going to teach Timothy and us this Sunday. That's exciting. All right. Well, Rick, thank you so much for your time. And audience, thank you so much for your time. Join us next time. Thanks for spending time with us today. We hope that you've been encouraged and better informed. We love to get feedback, so send us an email with your comments and suggestions to info at roswellgrace.com. If you like what we're doing here at Living Your Dash, please hit the subscribe button, leave us a review on your platform, and share this with your friends. For more information about Grace Community Church, please point your browser to roswellgrace.com. Until next time, I'm Marie, and this is Living Your Dash.